Before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to give everyone a quick trigger warning. Um, With today's guest, I will be talking in depth about domestic violence and abusive relationships. So if that triggers anybody, please turn off the episode now and I will see you back here next week. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Search for Serotonin. I hope everybody is having a great week. I just want to get right into the episode topic this week because we do have another guest, and I'm so excited for this guest because it is my older sister, Emma, and she is going to be here today to talk a little bit about her previous experience with um, domestic violence, being in an abusive relationship, and then overcoming that, and then where she's at now. Um, So we have Emma with us today. Emma, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to share my story with your audience. Yeah, I'm excited too. And I know you have kind of already been public with this story. You talk about it a lot, like on your social pages. Um, So I'm really glad that you were able to come and talk about this on this podcast. So if you want to start out by just introducing yourself, tell people a little bit about yourself, what you do and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So like Carolyn mentioned, I am her older sister. My name is Emma Farrick. I am the founder of Elf Operations, which is an online consulting operations consulting firm. So I help visionary CEOs and entrepreneurs who want to uh, scale their business sustainably and efficiently in ways that align with their life and their goals so that they can take back control and have freedom in their lives again. So that is part of my story and part of my journey. Um, It did help with my healing process, but the main topic that we are going to discuss today is how I even got to that point, um, which was my relationship, my domestic violence relationship, which was like a huge turning point in my life for me in many ways. So I don't know if you want me to just jump in or yeah, you want me to just jump in? Okay. Um, So I was fresh out of college. Um, well, I guess I should back up. I was still in college at the time of this and I met, I want to go into the details since this is a mental health podcast. And I know so many women share the same sentiment of how it started. So I was young. I just turned 21. It felt like at the top of the world, like outwardly, if you would have looked into my life, you would have thought, you know, I had it all under control. I felt good about myself. Um, I was interning at a really big company here in Pittsburgh. Um, So if anyone knows, it's PNC. I felt amazing. I was ready to graduate in a couple of months. Um, Externally, all the things were good, but internally things were not good, which is what at the time I didn't acknowledge it. I wasn't accepting of it. I didn't, wasn't fully aware of it. Um, but there were things subconsciously that just weren't good, which I'll dive into in a little bit once I get to the self development part, I guess. Um, but you know, a lot of people might relate to this, that I was swept off my feet by an older guy who, um, you know, love bomb me didn't know that term at the time but that is a common term that's thrown around if you've gone through an abusive relationship or if you're not familiar with the term and might be suspecting of an abusive relationship love bombing is when they actually 
tying back into Carolyn's podcast name, they will unknowingly or knowingly love bomb you to increase your serotonin levels. So this is, this is actually very scientific. I didn't know this until I um, was out of my abusive relationship, but they will make you have that feeling of a high and they will like give you lavish gifts, lavish attention. They will make you feel this high. And what happens is your brain releases the serotonin levels and then they quickly will pull it away from you. And it's a cycle and it doesn't happen obviously right away. They build up to it. Um, but they will love bomb you at first to make you feel so special and so high on a pedestal. Um, and feel so good about yourself that you don't realize really what's going on until, uh, they've gained your trust and they've, uh, infiltrated basically every part of your life. Yeah. I was going to say, um, just like with the whole love bombing thing, um, how they just like kind of overwhelm you at first with all of these, like interesting opportunities. And I remember when you were getting into this relationship, it was like your first or second date that you guys were going on and you texted me and you were like, oh, he got us floor seats for a chain smokers concert. And you were kind of debating if you should go or not. And I was like, obviously you should go. Like those are expensive tickets and chain smokers was huge at the time. So that's like definitely the perfect example of like how it started with like those really like intense dates and things like that. That was actually our first date. And I thought, oh, you know, like, I'm so cool. It's so cool. Like I'm going out with an older guy. Like he bought me these, these tickets. This is just normal. It's, you know, they, he has money to spend. Um, and then it was like quickly after that, I had turned 21 and he like spent no expense, spared no expense on my 21st birthday and beyond my 21st birthday with like gifts and just alcohol and, taking me out to fun places, things like that. Um, and I think what's unique about my story, that's a little, maybe it could be relatable to some people, but not every abuser is going to do this because my abuser is like on another sick level. Um, I shortly found out, which complicated everything that I was pregnant. It was an unplanned pregnancy. So there's layers to this. Like there's not only domestic violence, there's like a young mom story in here, which definitely didn't help in my mental health or anything about it. Um, because I thought my life was ruined. I, you know, I, obviously it's not, it wasn't, but at the time, you know, because of society and standards and the way we were raised, like I'm not saying the way we were raised was wrong, but we were raised really, um, Catholic and there was a way to do things and that was not the way to do them. And, um, so 21 found out I was pregnant to a person I had only known for two months. And, um, I later found out that that was probably intentional. It wasn't really accidental. He was trying to do that on purpose to try and control me, whether he really knew it at the time or was like kind of knew it, but he did later admit to that, um, in a sense. And so that is like a whole nother level of control that my abuser was trying to put on me. So the main common ones that are, that most people experience are financial, mental, emotional, and, um, physical, like those are all forms of abuse or the ways that they will try to control you and manipulate you. Um, that added in an extra layer of, okay, now there's a child involved. I have no idea what I'm doing. 
um, my mental health started to spiral at that point because oh, not only, <laughs> not only was there that, um, our dad suffered a stroke two months later and my dad and I were very close, um, at the time slash prior to it. And, um, literally three days before Charlotte was born, um, our grandfather died and I had just graduated college. So <laughs> if anyone's experienced any of those one things at one time, they would know that is a lot because graduating from college is its own huge life shift. Um, seeing my dad go from being the hero of my life to not being able to walk or do things on his own and it being so suddenly ripped from me and then having another prominent male figure in my life die, um, literally, his death set me into labor. Um, I remember I drove you to the hospital to leave the funeral home and get Emma to the hospital in the midst of chaos. It was insane. Yeah. So having all those things happen, like boom, 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 right after the other, you're, you know, being pregnant doesn't help your mental health or your, your mental state either because of the hormones. I never been pregnant didn't know what it was like. Um, so it was like all these compounding factors that later on I realized were contributing to control and being subjected to the abusive relationship that, you know, like I just had such low self-esteem. Before you talk about like getting out of the relationship, I just want to like say really quick, um, cause I've talked about a little bit about like paps passing on the podcast but I haven't really said anything about dad's stroke. So yeah, that was definitely a big experience for our family because we, you know, had our whole lives change overnight. Two weeks before the stroke, we were all on vacation. Everybody was having a great time. And then out of nowhere, like we all had to kind of refigure out how to go about our day by day. And like, were we going to lose dad? Were we not going to lose dad? So even that alone, like was just an overwhelming enough experience. And then to add all of those other things that you were going through, like graduating college, and then also like with Pat passing, and then like just the stress of graduating college alone, like figuring out where you're going to work afterwards, how you're going to make that life adjustment. And then, you know, you're in this abusive relationship. And like you said, you weren't feeling very good about yourself. Your self-esteem was low. But I also know in that relationship, like he kind of made you pull away from like me and our family. And so you weren't really opening up about these things. So like, could you talk a little bit about how like hard it was to keep all of that a secret and then still have to manage all these, manage all these additional factors on top of keeping that secret from like your closest family and friends? Yeah. And there was also the secret of when that happened with dad, I hadn't even outright told anyone in our family that I was pregnant at that point. I didn't tell anybody until I think I was four or five months. So I was almost halfway along. So I wasn't really showing. Um, and I was going to tell everybody and then the stroke happened. So obviously like that played into my mental health is like, Oh my God, is my dad going to die before I even get to tell him that he could potentially have a granddaughter. And um, so I think the, also the, the secret piece that kind of played in, but more later, like it wasn't obvious of, to me yet, that how much of an abusive relationship it was until after Charlotte was born. So it didn't really feel like I was keeping anything, but I did feel like I was making excuses for him a lot, which was huge red flags. Like after I found out I was pregnant, I, there was so many red flags that popped up of like lies he had been telling 
um, things that weren't all the whole truth. And then he was used like things I didn't realize because of everything else going on. Like you had mentioned, like just trying to deal with that. So a lot of those red flags that I probably would have noticed if it wasn't everything else going on, um, just seemed like things I could sweep under the rug because I also was like, had a huge pressure, at least from society's perspective that I felt was, you know, you have to make it work with the dad. Like it, you're, you, I had this like belief of myself that I had to change of, you, I didn't want my kid to come from a broken home. And I put that on myself. Um, so trying to make that work and then like just making these excuses for him of like, you know, he lied about his age. <laughs> he lied about like certain things that he did or didn't do. And um, so I would just like make these excuses, but like the, the real signs of like the abuse didn't start happening until like at least physical signs of abuse. I think that's like where people start to note, like that's easier and to recognize and if you're going through this, it's easier to recognize signs of like physical abuse prior to emotional, like a lot of the emotional abuse and the mental abuse that I went through, I didn't even acknowledge or accept it until after the relationship. So that's like, it's harder to view from the outside and it's harder to recognize on the inside of a relationship for anyone that's going through it. But those are the two things that are going to make your mental health decline. And that's going to be what keeps you in the relationship because the goal of the abuser is to like you said, make you feel isolated because that's their main tactic. And it won't be obvious that they're making you feel isolated. And what helped in this situation was we had just had a baby. So like, wasn't, you know, when you're, when you're pregnant, you don't want to be around people. You're, you don't have the energy to go out and you don't, but like there's sneaky ways that an abuser will like try to make you feel crazy. They will gaslight you. They will um, and that's happened, that happened to me, like being gaslit, being told I'm crazy, being told it was my hormones, being told everything was my fault, using like the death of my grandpa to manipulate me, using the stroke of my dad to manipulate me. Um, and then what they do is they play in on your biggest, like, you'll relay to your partner, you'll, you'll relay to someone that you trust, like your fears or things that you're worried about. And then what I didn't realize or wasn't fully aware of on the mental side was he was using those later on in a fight or he was using those later on to play to my emotions to get me riled up. So they don't always try to pick a fight, but they'll get you worked up to make you look like the crazy person and make you feel like the crazy person. And what he did was sometimes even take it a step further. I don't even know if how many people know this, but like there were times like he would get me all riled up and worked up and then call the police to make it look like I was a crazy person and then have a police report on file. So that like, there was like things he was doing to plant seeds like for a long time. So then of course, whenever we had a big blowout, he had planted out those seeds, whether intentionally or non-intentionally for our, like where we lived. So the police would come when it finally happened and they just looked at me like I was the crazy girlfriend or I was the crazy mom, or I was like this postpartum psycho, um, lady because they he had called all these times on me before even though it wasn't my fault like he would twist and manipulate others perspective keep me even more isolated um so there's like so many different psychological levels that play into an abusive or domestic violence situation and it doesn't always have to be physical violence it is easier to prove in the system 
but if you can track things and you know keep record of them it will help you if there is like emotional or funny or emotional or mental abuse because you can report those and they can be documented um for a restraining order or a pfa and things like that yeah that has to be so mentally exhausting like you're just trying to survive in this relationship and your abuser is like 10 steps ahead of you planting seeds and doing all of these things for like the long game when you're not even aware of that. So when it comes to the time, like you said, when the abuse finally does happen, then they have this little file already built up on you without you knowing that that's kind of going down. And so then you already are the one suffering the abuse and then you just got physically abused. But then on top of that, you have to take on the mental burden of, okay, this now becomes like a mind game. And then it's just so exhausting, like what you had to go through, because I saw it personally. I still see it to this day, personally, all of the like mental games that he plays with you. And so like, I'm sure that had to take a lot out of you. Yeah. It's exhausting. And you And for anyone experiencing it, they might not know they're experiencing it. That's like the other key problem. But once I was like aware, one, I was more aware of mental health in general and like personal development in general, like that is what helped me heal and like stay out of the abusive relationship. Because the statistic is um, it takes, whether male or female, to leave an abusive relationship, it takes them seven tries. Yeah, they, I don't know, you didn't watch Made on Netflix, did you? No, it was too triggering. I couldn't watch it. I understand that. I watched it and I felt triggered because of your situation and I didn't even have that happen to me. So I had that like secondhand like triggering because they portrayed everything so well in Made. It's like 10 episodes, but this girl wasn't even physically abused and she goes to a DV shelter and she feels guilty and it's like hard for her to prove her like domestic violence because there was no physical contact. And in the show, they show one of the girls that's already at the house who she becomes friends with and she leaves and goes back to her abuser. And the lady who's running the shelter said, you know, it's like her third time. It takes girls seven tries. And then the lady was like, I left on my fifth try though. So a lot of people don't understand also that it's not just you get up and you get out. A lot of people get up and get out, but then that abuser has so much control over them, like mentally or financially, or they just get this like separation anxiety or this withdrawal symptoms. And so then they keep kind of going back. It's actually called a trauma bond. I didn't know that until after, but you can be trauma bonded to somebody. Um, And usually if you're in a, like a, not as good of a mental state, it's easier for them to create that trauma bond with you and control you in a sense. So like my lack of self-love, my lack of self-confidence, also my personality type led into it. I found out after that I specifically the Enneagram personality type is what resonates with this because any, you kind of know about Enneagrams, but in case anyone who's listening doesn't. For Enneagrams, you can be like a range, like a two, you can have a range of a two or a three or a four. They have, there's nine of them. Um, but like a two at their lowest or unbest self is, you know, going to be way more susceptible to like wanting that approval, wanting that love. So my personality type actually led into that. 
But when I'm very self-confident and at the highest form of my, my personality type with self-love and all of this kind of things that play into the Enneagram, um, it's a whole different type of personality. So like, I think that's a very good explanation of life because you can be at different points, but you have to understand the basis of like what drives you personally. Um, I wasn't aware of that, but that also kind of led into the trauma bonding as well. Like you said, cause it does take a long time, a couple tries. Like it took me, I think I moved, I almost, I moved out officially once and went back because it was so like, I just, I couldn't bring myself to be like, my kids are from a broken home. And that was like a paradigm that I had to make the adjustment on. A lot of women feel that way because they put this unrealistic expectation on themselves. Like, I don't want my kid to come from a broken home. And what I had to shift my paradigm into is one, I could be dead and my daughter's not going to have me at all, which is like a huge drastic thing, but you have to be realistic about it. Um, even though they don't want to, and a lot of people struggle to accept that. And if you can't accept that piece, the other piece is your child, girl or boy are, is going to grow up seeing you be subjected to that. And that's what they're going to learn. They're going to learn that that's how they should be accepting of love. You're like giving into the generational trauma and a lot of people don't, I think, realize that it's better and sometimes healthier. Like, I'm not saying like, I don't agree with the standpoint that like an abuser should be an, a, a parent in a, a kid's life. That's not my standpoint, but some people do believe that and, or they, maybe they're just abusive to them. Um, I think it can happen easily for the, cause the abuser can target the kids next if you're not there. So that is something a lot of people are afraid of is they don't want that to happen. So they think by staying um, that they'll just keep tar- being the target of the abuse so that the kids never become the target. Well, you need to have a healthy environment for them to grow up. And I know that's hard because of the financial piece to it, because you're going from a two, two income house to a single income house, but it's not going to lend your kid any favors if you're shielding them. Like, yes, you could, you can shield them, but you can do it from a safe environment and you're going to be stronger mentally, physically, emotionally, um, when you're not being subjected to that. It's like mental warfare every day and they want you to feel emotionally and mentally drained. Yeah. And so you have to probably over a period of time, like, like you said that like trauma bond, it manifests into anxiety because you're just trying to think about, okay, how can I prevent like the fight or how can I prevent like it building up to the point where I'm like getting beat, you know? And then on top of that, you have that like just pile of them constantly degrading you and putting you down and telling you that you're wrong, that you're the problem. So then like that would also bring in like a piece of depression as well. So did you kind of like develop that like anxiety and depression when you were in this situation? Because I know you're somebody who doesn't necessarily struggle like with clinical depression or things like that. So did it like inflict those mental health issues? Um, I think the anxiety, yes, I always, I still, uh, struggle with anxiety because, of that was something like I got diagnosed with prior to being pregnant with, or like when I was early, like on being pregnant with Charlotte, um, because he made me feel so crazy. He was like, you need to go get mental help. Like he even pushed me to go get the mental help because he made me feel so crazy. I don't think he thought I'd actually would. Um, and he 
also was able to trigger a therapist. So if anyone's listening, they might be able to relate to that piece as well. Like we went to a couple's therapist and he manipulated the therapist into thinking, you know, it, it was just my postpartum, which I don't think I actually had postpartum. I think it was postpartum inflicted with the abuse. And so it was manifesting as a depression. Um, so yeah, I think the depression was definitely caused by the abuse. I generally suffer from anxiety. So that was just heightened. And like after, um, once I left, there was another type of anxiety of just being in survival mode and the anxiety of like, I think a lot of survivors can relate to, or people who want to get out, but can't get out are afraid of the anxiety of like constantly looking over their shoulder or constantly feeling like, when are they going to come and get me? Or are they going to come and get me? Am I safe here? You know, like you're constantly looking over your shoulder. You're constantly feeling in like this fight or flight, like instinct mode. Um, and so that kind of anxiety to leave is something different, but the abuse definitely triggered a lot of other things. And I definitely think made my postpartum worse or triggered it. And then the depression. Yeah. Because you feel isolated and you just don't know how to explain it either. And it's hard. You think no one's going to understand or be supportive because a lot of people don't talk about it. But, um, ever since I did share my story, once I've like gone through my own healing process and felt safe and comfortable enough to share my story without feeling fear of retaliation, um, so many more people than you realize actually go through it with this because I've put my story out there. Carolyn knows other platforms. That's like why I built my business is to be able to share this and have as a part of healing, but also to share my story and have a platform to share my story because I fully believe that getting through this is what helped. Like the only reason I was able to get through it was telling myself, like, I'm going to help someone else with this. I'm going to like get through this, not only for myself and for Charlotte, but I'm going to help someone else get through this. If I can do it, my story will be an inspiration. Cause like I was on podcasts or I would binge podcasts when I was out. Um, and I would listen to other women's stories of like how they got through it and how they managed the day-to-day -day after and hearing them say like, I went from the lowest of the low or I almost died and now I'm here. Um, so once you, once I shared it, there were so many people who were like, Oh, I've been through this or thank you for sharing. Like I, I've had males reach out to me and say, thank you for sharing this. Like, I don't even know how to approach this with my daughter. I don't want this. Like I have two girls. Like, I don't want this to happen to them. Um, which I always kind of combat and say, like, this can happen to anybody. Don't just think because you have a daughter that's going to happen to just them. Like it can happen to literally anybody. So trying to like help fight those stigmas as well, but more like, I think one in three happens to one in three. I just looked it up. I just looked it up before this. Um, we sat down to record because I wanted to see. And I think, I think my statistic was from 2021. I'll link it in the show notes just so people can verify and do their own research. But what I found was it's one in four women and one in seven men. And it also, you know, it's not like certain races, everybody can be affected by this. Like every gender LGBTQ plus people are experiencing domestic violence. It's not just subjective to women. It is literally anybody and everybody. I just read an article last night, like um, Zach's aunt sent it to me about a woman who 
was leaving her abusive relationship and she felt so ashamed and so embarrassed because they lived in like a nice white picket house that was a fence you know the whole nine of like what is deemed as you know a high class in society so they were like you'd actually be surprised we come here the most like this neighborhood so it can happen even in different socioeconomic um but that was also a reason I was like, oh, it's not happening to me. I, I know better. Like my family taught me like, you know, I, this would never happen to me. I, you know, you think all the things, but it can happen to you no matter like what, what you just said, like across the board, any socio socioeconomic status, any background, any upbringing, you know? Yeah. And that's like a similar thing when I talked on this podcast earlier in previous episodes about when I started to finally accept like my anxiety and depression and my mental health and like that I had these things I for a really long time thought the same thing that you thought in the domestic violence process and all the thoughts that are coming in and I would think well I'm not that kind of person. And like, I came from a like good family and we always had food on the table and like, we went to a good school and, you know, we had like a home and all of these things. So I would always kind of like play it down and just make it seem like there's no way I could have anxiety or depression because of all of these external factors. And so I think that's a common like thought pattern for a lot of people, whether you're in like it's regards to mental health, whether it's in regards to domestic violence, whether it's in regards to, you know, any type of these situations, a lot of people kind of like put themselves down in order to make them think like, oh, I don't qualify to have this when in reality it can happen to anybody. Yeah. A lot of people are in denial when it's happening and they, they, I know a lot of people, they want to let it define them. And I decided early, early on when I was out, when I got out of the relationship that I wasn't going to let it define me. I could have let it define me in a negative. I did let it define me in a negative for a really long time. I was like, no one's going to want to be with me because I'm a single mom. I've had this, you know, abuse happen. I'm damaged goods, whatever wording you want to put. And I would think this, and I was like, I would just be so hard on myself. I was like, I'm a statistic. I'm this, that, and the other thing. And then eventually I forget what made me switch my thought process, probably some book or podcast that I listened to, honestly. And I was like, I'm going to make this a statistic in a positive way. Like I'm going to switch my thought process. And, um, might've actually been someone at work. They said to me, like, you're getting stressed about this and you've survived this. Like, that's nuts. Like, you know, and I was like, yeah, you're right. Like I did survive this. I made it through this. Like, it's not a negative. It just makes me a better, stronger person. Like not a lot of people can say that they got out or not a lot of people can say that they have done it like this way. So instead of viewing it as a negative, shifting my mindset into the positive and like coming to terms with self-love and personal development, um, and that's what led me to finding Zach. No, just like being able to love myself was able to like let in love for someone else. And which I know that's something people struggle with after being out of um, an abusive relationship is like the self-love and the self-talk. And you just kind of shared about that on Instagram, which I thought was, was tying into today. Yeah. Do you kind of want to talk about like, what was the final straw? I know um, you don't have to go like too in-depth with 
exactly what happened, whatever you're comfortable with sharing, but what was kind of like the last straw for you when you finally did make those steps to get out? And what was that process like? Like, did you do it by yourself? Who did you depend on? How did those shifts impact you? And then kind of take that into how you got to where you are today. Yeah. And I will also share in my story, some tips that I learned that I wish I would have known. So in case anyone's going through this now and going through the system specifically, like the court or the legal system, because that is very hard to navigate. And, um, that kind of plays into the statistics of when people can get out. It's harder for people who maybe aren't, don't have resources financially or the knowledge to get out. And that's why if you're listening to this and you maybe are saying like, I don't have enough money, um, please reach out or look up the shelters. And sometimes you're going to get crappy people, but please keep trying to reach out to resources. There's so many people. So just finding those resources and reaching out if you can. For me specifically, uh, I came home from being out with a friend and came home. It's like around one o'clock. And yes, I was intoxicated, which I own up to. And I never hide that piece of this story because I let that be a piece that controlled me for a really long time. Um, There was nothing wrong with my actions. And, you know, that's part of the abuse was he would make me try to feel bad for my actions when there wasn't anything wrong with them. Um, Came home and we got into an argument. So I was like, you know what? I don't want to sit here and deal with this right now. I'm just going to go to bed. So I like go upstairs and I had been so fed up with this for so long. And I, w- I just muttered the wrong thing to him. There's nothing wrong. Like, I don't want anyone who's going through this as well to feel like they said the wrong thing that they triggered him. You didn't trigger him. I said, you know, I wish I wouldn't have come home. I could have stayed out. Like he took it as I was going to cheat on him, which is not true. I just wish I would have stayed at my friend's house, been somewhere that I felt, you know, loved and wanted. Um, I walked upstairs, had my back turned. And the next thing I knew I was on the ground and was getting kicked and hit. And I realized my nose was bleeding and I was like in shock. And uh, I was like, what the heck is even happening? It took me a minute to realize what was going on. So I just put shoes on and left. Um, Eventually was able to get a hold of the police. um, And, you know, this is something I, I don't think I've actually shared this on a podcast before, but for the tip of being able to provide proof, like documenting things, if you're in this real, like situation, it's hard to remember in the moment, but please do it. Cause even when I didn't leave, I still documented things that I, I kind of had that gut feeling like this isn't right. I saved screenshots. I saved when I had other bruising, I had like a whole file, like even though I wasn't ready to leave, like I at least had the evidence building up as well. So be at least smart enough to, if you're not ready to leave, at least keep a trail of it. Um, I know that's hard if you're in denial, but you know, if something doesn't seem right, just keep track of it for your, for your own safety. And what I did was I went to his parent, his mom and siblings lived a couple blocks from us. So I walked over there because I was like, I want everyone to see what you did. Like people, Cause you're going to try and twist this. You're going to try and push this under the rug. Luckily in PA, if you have physical injuries, like your bodily, you have bodily injuries that are apparent on scene. When you call the cops, they have to arrest on site state. No, different States are different. And I continued to press charges. I continued down the path of filing a protection for abuse from abuse order. And um, I took all the legal precautions that I could to keep myself safeguarded 
And I got, when the cops came and asked if I wanted to go to the hospital, I said yes, because I knew they would document it there. They took pictures, they took a report, you know, the nurses there were super supportive. Being around people like that was super helpful to me because they were, they were like, are you going to press charges? Like, are you leaving? They, I mean, they didn't pry like that much, but that's kind of like the wording of it. And they were like, good for you. Cause when I told them that I was, cause I knew I had to like, I didn't have to, but I knew that that was like the right thing to do because I didn't want this to continue to happen to someone else. Like when you don't speak up is when it's going to continue to happen. And I was in the awkward position of, I knew I wasn't the first person to go through this with him, but I was going to be the one to speak up, which was going to make it 10 times harder because a lot of people, you're not probably the first person in their cycle of abuse. They've probably done this before, but the more people that speak up about it and the more people that are vocal about it is going to um, be better, but just because you're not the only one, or you you might be the only one speaking out, doesn't make it wrong. I always want to bring up the legal piece because if you're leaving, take all the precautions that you can because a lot, and it's not easy. Like sometimes getting a PFA is hard. You know, it's harder for mental to prove mental and emotional abuse. And I was actually thankful in a weird way that I had the physical abuse because it made it that much easier to prove to a judge, which is terrible. That's not how the system should be. But the fact that I had been so badly hurt, um, they took me that much more seriously. And some people will say like, well, why didn't you come forward before? Or like, why didn't you file a report then? Or like, obviously you weren't scared then. If someone tells you that, they don't understand the emotional and mental piece that goes into abuse and they have probably never experienced it in their life and do not let them make you feel guilty. That's like really good advice because when I talked about my suicide episode, I kind of talked about the same things where, you know, I wasn't believed. And so to me, I took that as, okay, you don't have an issue. Just shut up, put your head down and kind of deal with it. So for this sense, like, it's good that you're saying, you know, if people are saying these things to you, don't listen to them, continue to fight for yourself, continue to do what you know is best for you. A lot of times when I'm talking on this podcast, one of the biggest pieces I push is no one knows you better than yourself. You know what is best for you and no one else is going to know you like that. So if you have a feeling that you think I need to do this for me, this is what's going to give me peace of mind. This is going to be the best thing for me physically, emotionally, and mentally, then that's what you have to do. So that's really great that you said that. Uh, you're the biggest advocate for yourself. I was told plenty of times, like public defenders, judges, police officers, you know, like, why are you fighting for this? Or like, what this, you know, and I looked at my mom to this day, she's because she was with me when we went to the first one of the first hearings. And I told this, I looked this public defender in the eye because he was like, you know, you're not going to get this. You're not going to do this. You're not going to. It just doesn't work like that or blah, blah, blah. And I was like, if you guys let this happen this is what's going to happen. And I knew him well enough. I knew myself well enough. I was like, I will continue to fight. So it's not my daughter. That's the next person in the hospital bed. You know, like I will do whatever I can. And like everything that I said to that public defender that day, or was like, after I found out the, the ruling of like, I was like, he was still going to get her three days a week, which is really messed up in the system. Like you can almost kill someone and still have access to a child you know, if you know, something's going to happen, it's in your gut, keep fighting for it because it did happen. And it's like, don't just let it 
don't wait and let it happen. Just stand up for yourself and fight because just because it hasn't been done before doesn't mean your situation isn't worthy of that change. When you were actually going through this, I will never forget the day that I got the call that you were in the hospital and you had a broken nose and you basically almost died. And I'll never forget just like the sheer panic that like washed over my body. And then I even started going into the thought process of, well, well, could I have said something or could I have done something or could I have pushed a little bit harder? But like I said earlier, during that time, we kind of like distance ourselves from each other. And for those people that don't know me and Emma are 11 months apart. So we've always had each other in our lives. We've grown up together. We've gone through everything together. And so to see like you being one of my biggest role models in my life to go through something like this, and I wasn't even aware of it. It was like a wake up moment for me, but I've never been more proud of anybody than I was watching you get yourself out of that situation. And like, even though you were crying because it was so hard and you just, you know, like were just mentally not yourself, but you pulled yourself out of it and you did it for you and you did it for Charlotte and you gave you got like both of you a really great life. And within that, you were able to take the amazing person that you were before that and not lose that person, but you leveled that person up and you grew into this like highest version of yourself. And like, you're kicking ass today. Like you're doing it all. Like you started a business from the ground up, an online business all by yourself. You know, you have a happy relationship and now you're expecting your second child with Zach. So for you to come from like the lowest of the low and then be able to pull yourself out of it and not only create a great life for yourself, but recreate this best version of yourself is just been really awesome to watch for me because like I said I look up to you and whenever like things get tough in my life I kind of look to you and think how you've gone through so much and you're still like pushing through and helping other people so I just think you're really inspiring to a lot of people and I think a lot of people are going to enjoy hearing your story thank you I, I mean obviously that means 10 times more than some random other person I'd be on a podcast with because you are my sister and you do know my story better than anybody else um And it's, I think for anyone listening, who's going through this, like what I would share the most is if it's not happening to you and you're like in Carolyn's shoes where you're like, I see a loved one going through this. How do I help them? It's like, don't, you don't want to pry too much because there's like a fine line because there are some people like, I was never like it. If you pried, I was going to cut you out. But some people they're in so deep, if you pry too much, they will push you away harder. So it depends on the person, the personality but just being there when they're ready to talk, not being a judgmental ear, you know, looking out for the signs, like it is hard to tell they're going to try and cover it up, but pushing away is a sign, you know, acting differently, you know, noticing a, a change in someone if they're normally outgoing and becoming not so outgoing and um, just trying to be there for them, offer them support. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. All right, we are going to wrap up the episode here. Um, Emma and I actually talked about a lot more than what I could fit into the episode because if I would have included it all, the episode would have been way too long. (laughs) So if you want to go see the full unedited video recorded interview that I did with Emma, you can find that on my Patreon account, which is linked in the show notes. 
If you think you or someone you know is struggling with domestic violence or an abusive relationship, I've also linked some additional resources in the show notes for you as well to check out. Um, So if you think those apply to you, please, please, please go take a look at those. All right, guys, always remember that this world is better with you in it. Have a great week. This week's song is Confident by Debbie Lovato. This week, I asked Emma to pick the song of the week, and she chose Confident by Demi Lovato because, well, A, she wanted to pick I Love Me by Demi Lovato, but that was the song that I did on two weeks ago's episode, Love Yourself Babes. So instead of repeating the same song, Emma chose Confident, and I'm really glad that she did choose this one because I feel like a lot of the lyrics in Confident relates to Emma's situation and what she was talking about in the interview. I know on her healing journey, Emma listened to I Love Me and Confident a lot by Demi Lovato, and it was songs that she said helped her love herself again. If you want to listen to Confident by Demi Lovato, you can find it on the Search for Serotonin playlist, which is linked in the show notes. See you next week, guys. Have a great week.